Uh, good evening, folks. Good to be with you all. Before uh, we turn to the Bible, um, just a couple of updates. Uh, last Sunday in the morning, um, Chris, who's usually our, our morning service, uh, came forward and came forward for prayer for healing. And it, he, had, he explained that 15 years ago, he'd been doing a, a day's heavy labor and lifting heavy slabs and, and that sort of thing. And um, in absolute agony on the back of that and had to get a hospital appointment. And what happened is actually three slip discs, uh, discs had dislodged and uh, they, they said it was, that an operation wasn't possible. So he was put on heavy prescriptions of painkillers. And he, he actually ended up, he, he explained that he'd, he'd got addicted to the painkillers. And uh, so he kind of weaned himself off that and decided he's just going to have to somehow manage with the pain. So for 15 years, he struggled with the pain. His, his whole frame was lopsided and virtually not able to bend over in any way. And last Sunday, we prayed for him and God instantly lifted the pain. I mean, and so it's, it was fantastic. And so uh, he, he, he gave permission for, you know, we talked to him through the week, he gave permission, said, please tell him, it's, you know, pain has lifted, he's... Uh, he said he feels 80% better. <laughs> so it's 80% miracle. <laughs> so, but, but he said it's like a new lease of life. His frames leveled up. Um, he's, he, was, he was right, right there and then he bent right over as, as he was prayed for. So God, God just did something great. Uh, and Samson, could you just come and quickly tell what, what happened to you last Sunday night as well? Let's hear for Samson as he comes. This is Samson from the Bible. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're on. Yeah. There you go. The air is rolling back. <laughs> okay. Um, we are saved by the word of um, the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony because when Pastor Peter was sharing the testimony at late um, last week yeah. Yeah. I, I just came into that I believe very strongly that it's not God is not partial if God can heal back he can heal my own shoulder because when he said exactly 15 years I've been managing you know going around with the shoulder pain and it always get worse when any time I, in the cold temp uh, environment. So for the past two weeks, I've been feeling that sharp pain. Last week Sunday, well, after the word, because the word is living, I'm powerful, active. So I came into that. I said, "This is my night." So Pastor uh, P just lay and on me, anointed me. And since then, because the pain was so bad sometimes, when I just do this, I can feel it. It's like a nerve, a transfer. But I give glory to God that uh, I can. <laughs> so. That has been good. But it really shouldn't surprise us, should it? It really shouldn't surprise us in the slightest that the God who created the whole world's can fix this world when it goes wrong. Um, let's pray and then we're going to turn to the Bible. Father, thank you so much that uh, we're in your presence. God, thank you for the love you have for each and every one in this room. Lord, I pray as we take time just now to look at uh, the Bible, I pray you just speak to us like you do. I pray somehow, God, like you always do, would you take the words of Scripture, make them alive. And God, you know everyone in this room, maybe, maybe this is someone's first time here, maybe some people here tonight aren't yet connected with you, 
And God, thank you, God, that you just love them. And I pray that in your presence, they will hear things and each one of us will hear things that will draw us close to you and to your purposes for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Something really significant happened in 2007 across the world. Now, you wouldn't have known it. Uh, you were, all of you were around then. And, but something happens that uh, it crept up on us. And it, it happens, it was the first time ever in human history this happened. The UN reported that for the first time in human history, as of 2007, more people lived in cities than lived in rural areas. That was the crossover point. All of a sudden, more than 50% of the world's population lived in cities. And that is projected to continue to 2030, when 60% of the world's population will live in cities. Isn't that incredible? question is, what does God feel about the city? And the very last verse in the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is all about God's trying to reach out to a city that he loves, a very violent and dangerous city, but a city nevertheless that God loves. And he's trying to get this guy Jonah, who is quite prejudiced against this city, to be the one, the spokesperson on behalf of God to bring that city back to God. And the very last verse in the whole book, it says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Okay, so here's where we're going to go tonight. First of all, we're going to look at the cities on God's heart. Secondly, we're going to look at the city in the Bible. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the cities on our heart. So first of all, the cities in God's heart. God's on three occasions in the book of Jonah refers to Nineveh. Here they are. See if you can notice the common pattern. Jonah 1 verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah 3 verse 2. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah 4 verse 11. We just read it. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? You see the, see the, the common thing going on there. God doesn't just say go to the city. He says, he calls it the great city. Now, in the Hebrew language, what's going on there is two things. The word great, the word that's translated great in the English, is a Hebrew word that has a double edge meaning to it. On one hand, great means big, big, lots of people, big city, great city. But on the other hand, the word great means, and legitimately here, this is what it means, significant, important. So what this is saying is that God is saying, Nineveh is significant and important to me. And I believe God would say exactly the same about Edinburgh. Edinburgh is significant and important to me. It's not just a city. God's not on the fence concerning it. He thinks it's a great city. It's significant. I remember in 2001, the church, we kicked the church off in our living room in 98. And in 2001, we were still very small as a church. And I joined a group of other leaders up at a leaders retreat up at Bonskeed House up in the Highlands. And it was a great time. And I remember at one moment, there was a time where people were praying for each other. And someone came up, another leader came up to me and said, God has given me a prophecy, a word for you. And, and I typically write prophecies down, so let me read it to you. And it, this is in February 2001. 
the prophecy went like this. When people think of Scotland, they think of Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a big and significant city. A city uh, that needs a big work, a big church. And God is calling you to raise up a big church in this big and significant city. A work that will look to the rest of the world. And it kind of speaks the same thing that's saying in Jonah here that this is a significant city and it needs a significant church in this significant city. Why would God take special interest in cities? An urban missionary called Bill Crispin, he put it this way, and I kind of agree with him. He said, the country is their place where there are more plants than people. The city is the place where there are more people than plants. And since God loves people far more than he loves plants, he loves the city far more than he loves the country. (laughs) And to be honest, I kind of agree. There is more image of God per square meter in a city than there is in the countryside. The Bible says we've been created in the image of God. And there is more people per square meter in a city than there is in the country. And therefore, it tells me that God gets the attention of the city, or the city gets the attention of God. You see, you have calendars on your wall, and in your calendars, you've got what pictures of waterfalls and mountains and trees and lakes. You don't have a picture on your wall of a crowded bus, right? That's not on your calendar. Because for us, beautiful is trees and mountains and forests, and, but to God, people are beautiful. Image of God is beautiful, and therefore for God, while we think countryside for us is beautiful, and I agree, and God created it, and we appreciate God through it, yes. I have to tell you that God finds cities beautiful because they're full of people in his image because ultimately he loves people. It says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, sorry, chapter 4 verse 11, it's, it's the bit that we've all read and we've thought, that's weird. Let me read it to you, see if you spot it. Should I not have great concern concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from the left. We say, amen, God, and we're, oh. And then he says, and also many animals, end of book. What? <laughs> what? I mean, what's that? And also many animals. And I'm like, whoa, Lord. I mean, this is, you moved me up until then and then you kind of lost me and then you ended the book. What's that about? Other translations translate it cattle, also many cows or cattle. Um, You know, money today is quite small. You know, you have little bits of change in your pocket or in your wallet. um, Or it might be in a little chip on your credit card. Uh, Money in those days was very big and you had to feed it twice a day. Uh, You see, cattle were the economy. So what this is saying is this. Some people say, or stuff the city, you know, God's just disinterested in people. Well, actually, no, not stuff the city. God is interested in people, and because God's interested in people, he's interested in the infrastructure of the city. He's interested in the economy of the city. He's interested in the whole deal, because it all affects human beings created in his image. For God, the whole infrastructure of a city is important. So the city's in God's heart. Let's skip ahead now to the city in the Bible. You see, here in Jonah, we see God's heart for a city, but we also see it right through the Bible and especially in the book of Acts. So let me kind of journey several hundred years now. 
Jesus has come into the world, born of a virgin, lived an outstanding life, raised the dead, healed the sick, taught great things. He discipled, in particular, 12 disciples. And at the end of his life, he died on the cross. In that moment, all your sin, all your regret, all your wickedness, my wickedness, even our thoughts, everything you've ever done or ever will do, he died in your place. He paid the price for it all. His blood cleanses all that sin. It cleanses and clears the moral debt that is amassed against us. And on the third day, he resurrected. He's alive right now. And he, because of what he did on the cross, he can save you completely. If you've never put your faith in him, tonight you can do that and be saved completely forever. Now, Jesus, having risen from the dead, commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples. And those shortly, soon that small group of people became thousands and thousands of people. It's recorded for us in the book of Acts, the spread of the church. But one thing you notice, and if you can do your own study in the book of Acts, you'll see it exactly the same. You see there's a constant pattern in the book of Acts. And the constant pattern is this. They went into a region and they went to the main city in a region. And that was where they made an impact in the main city in a region and it was through that main city that the impact of the whole region happens. That's exactly what happens throughout the book of Acts. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 19, verses 9 to 10. You see, the apostles understood to impact a region, they needed to impact the main city in the region. Acts 19, the apostle Paul is in a place called Ephesus, a huge city in Asia. He says he took... Uh, the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius, some dinosaur or another. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, the province, heard the word of the Lord. What was going on, Paul was impacting right in a city. He took some disciples, he started impacting and training them and preparing them. And what? And then what happens? Paul didn't go out to the region, but who went out to the region? Probably the disciples that he was training, that they were going out with this message and they were impacting the region. You see, this is how it goes. This influence flows from the city into the rural areas. If you, the best thing we can do for rural areas in Scotland is to impact cities in a big way because culture flows from cities to the rural areas. And by 300 AD, 300 years after Christ, we see 50% of the cities in the Greco-Roman world around the Mediterranean, 50% of the populations of cities were Christian by 300 AD. That's remarkable. And this happened because of the strategy the apostles followed. As seen in Acts, they went to the major cities. It's interesting, 90% of people living in rural areas by 300 AD were pagans. But 50% of the people living in cities were Christians. It's interesting, actually, the word pagan... I think it's the Greek word paganos. Uh, and it, the root of that word means a man of the fields or a, a farmer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying all farmers are pagans, but I'm just telling you the root word of pagan comes from rural. And it, it, is, it, it was the truth, it was the case that people who lived in the countryside were, it was expected, oh, they're not Christian. But the people who lived in cities, in that day and age, the cities were so impacted by the gospel, half of the city populations were believers in Jesus. 
If you want to reach the world, you reach the cities. And now it comes to us, the cities on our heart. God called me to this city. I remember I was about 20 years old. I was studying architecture. I was coming into the final year of my studies. And the biggest thing on my heart was, if you'd asked me, Pete, what would you love to do next year? And for the next many years, I would have said to you, the biggest thing in my heart was, I'd love to pioneer church in Edinburgh. It's the biggest thing in my soul. I, I hardly even knew Edinburgh. I was over in Glasgow. You know, grew up in Glasgow. I hardly ever came across. You know, I'm serious. It's weird. You're only an hour away, but it's like the other side of the world. I didn't really know Edinburgh that well, but it was in my soul. I just, I, I, I wanted without everything within me to pioneer church in Edinburgh. And I didn't tell folks that. Anyway, one day, um, Andrew Owen, who's the pastor of Destiny Church in Glasgow, he phoned me up and said, Pete, do you have half an hour for a quick coffee? So I went into his office. I didn't know what it was about. And he sat me down and he said, Peter, we've been praying. And when he said we, he was meaning him and a guy called Bryn Jones. Anyone heard of Bryn Jones? No, okay. Bryn Jones, he was, he, he shook Britain. Bryn Jones was an apostle. And he was one of the key leaders in a movement that literally has birthed all the big church movements like New Frontiers and Gerald Coates' Pioneer and some of the great streams, including Destiny, that exist today in the UK. And literally, if it wasn't for these streams emerging, the church in Britain would be in a serious state. Bryn Jones was one of the key figures in that whole movement. They had a Bible week in the Yorkshire Dales that had about 15,000, 20,000 people there every year. They shook Britain. So that was Bryn Jones. He's no longer alive. I only met him a couple of times, and both times I met him, he prophesied over me about this calling on my life. But anyway, Andrew said, we've been praying, and that was him and Bryn. We've been praying, and we really sense God's calling us to be releasing someone to plant a church in Edinburgh. And as we're praying about this, we can't get your name out of our head. Would you consider this? <laughs> now, they didn't know this, because they hadn't told anyone. But I just told you a moment ago, for me, the biggest passion in my soul for that last year had been, I've, I've got to get to Edinburgh and Pioneer Church. And the only reason it was there was because God put that in my heart. So there was a real sense of confirmation. And so we made the plans. And when I was 22 in my living room at Haymarket, the church launched. It, it, you know, crazy. And it started. And I was utterly underqualified, still am. I've just been faking it all along. And just don't tell anyone that, okay? So we'll, we'll keep going. We'll just say, uh, all right, help me with this next week. And so God, why, did it, why was that in my heart? Because God had Edinburgh in his heart and God put it in my heart. Why would it be that God would have a city in his heart? Well, cities, here's lots of reasons, but one of them is cities is the places where culture is formed. You see, the river of influence flows from the cities to the country areas, the rural areas. You see, you could win an artist to Jesus in the countryside, but you can change the art world in the city. You know, you could see a, a lawyer come to faith in God in the countryside, but you can impact the legal profession in the city. Cities magnify what's going on in the human soul. There's two major things going on in the human soul. One is sin. We're fallen. And cities magnify sin. 
Why is it people think, oh, cities are full of, you know, there's more sin going on in cities than rural areas? Probably right. Because sinners get their heads together and come up with many ways of making their sin more. City has a way of magnifying that thing and assuming so. So as a result, cities are known for sin. And we see an example in, in the Old Testament of the, of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities where they became very known for sin because sinners got together and the city, somehow that environment, magnified that negative thing that was going on in the human soul. But also, the other thing that's going on in the human soul is not just your fallenness, it's also that the fact that you've been created in the image of God. You've been created in the image of the creator, therefore you are creative. And what happens in cities is that is magnified. Creativity is magnified in cities. So, for example, if, if you're a journalist and you're a journalist out in the countryside, you might be a good writer. But when you come to the city, all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who are phenomenal writers. And guess what that does for you? It ups the game. All of a sudden your creativity becomes exemplary. That's why culture flows from the city to the world. You see, countryside, typically, if, you were, if we were a church that was in the countryside and you went to one of our small groups, it would typically be a homogenous small group. All same type of people, same race, same background. But if you go to a small group in this urban situation that we're in as a church, and you go to one of our small groups, as many of you do, and you look around the room, there's probably, you know, it's like the United Nations, right? There's about five or six nationalities in the room. I love it. I love it. We're an international church. It's fantastic. And by the way, let me make a real clear point here. Um, some of you have come from another part of the world to Britain, and God's your father. God's your creator. God's your father. And you believe this is where you're meant to be. And I, I know some of you have had a real rough ride with immigration. I know you have. I know that some, I know some of the things that some of you folks have had to go through and the way you're treated and the way they forget your application forms and you've got to reapply and this prolonged, horrible process that some of you got to go through and it's your life that's been played with. I apologize on behalf of Britain for what you have gone through. Let me just make this clear. God is your father like he's my father. God has called you to be in this city. Just because I was born in this country doesn't mean I have any more right to be here than you have who've been called to this country. This is as much your city as it is my city. So I just want to make that really clear. And we're passionate about being an international church where all peoples are welcomed. I love it. And cities impact not just the rural areas, but also the world. Because what happens is people come to cities and people go from cities. People come from two cities to study, to work, to enjoy the city. And then have a, spent a period of time in the city, they go to countries. They go to different places. So what we've seen as a church is this dynamic of influence flowing is we've had a, the privilege of seeing people coming and being with us for a season and then they move on. And I know that's sometimes hard for us because there's a turnover in the church. That's hard because you get to know people and, oh, those people have gone. And I know that. It's, one of the, it's actually one of the sacrifices you make being in an urban church where it's not some settled suburban church where everyone's there 20 years. But, we've got, but nevertheless, it's a privilege to be involved with wonderful people's lives. And you, you get a chance, I get a chance to be a blessing in their life as they pass through 
into the next season and hopefully they're moving out with great foundations. And also what we see is influences happen by planting churches. So you remember Ammon and Comfort, they were part of our choir uh, a number of years ago. God put, they were from Gombe, Nigeria. One of the toughest places to be a Christian where the Boko Haram terrorist group are literally killing Christians. I mean, I mean that. And people are in fear for their life if they're Christians. Anyway, they were part of the church here. God stirred in them a passion. They've gone back and now planted Destiny Church in Gombe. They're going to be back with us in September for, for our annual conference. And what happens? We had the privilege of being involved in someone's life. And they came and then they went. Chris and Sarah, who knows Chris and Sarah? From Poland, from Wrocław, Poland, came. In fact, they were totally away from God, came to Edinburgh, found our church. They actually thought we were a nightclub, that's why they came. And, they, and then they came along, realized we weren't a nightclub, and actually they were on the run from God. And so this is the worst nightclub they could have come to. Instead of lots of sin, they got a savior. And they came to God and they were very much part of our church for years. They became leaders with us. And now they've gone back to Wrocław in Poland and they've kicked off Destiny Church in Wrocław. And they've not just kicked off in Wrocław, they've now kicked off a second group in a neighboring city called the thing. So, but how cool is that? They've come and they've, they've gone. Destiny Glasgow's recently kicked off a new thing where the it's not just the people who come and go. It's, it's the fact that the world is on our doorstep. And they've just kicked off a, a Farsi translation in their evening services. So for Iranians who are from the city, and they're starting to see a large number of Iranians sitting at the back of the auditorium, earphones on, getting a Farsi live translation of the preach. And many Muslims in particular are coming to faith through that. The opportunities we have in cities is incredible. It says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, this is when God first called Jonah. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. What was going on was that things were progressively getting worse in the city of Nineveh. And what did God say to Jonah? Okay, things are getting worse, Jonah, so go in. And I think that's God's agenda. But now what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way. And then later on, having begrudgingly preached eventually to Nineveh, what does he do? He gets out of the city and sits on the outskirts of the city and wishes that God will condemn them. God says things are getting worse. You need to go in. But so often what happens is religious christian people want to get out. Oh, the bad city. Let's get out. Let's live a nice, comfortable life on the out. Whereas God says, things are getting worse. You need to go in. Chibo, you, you read it earlier. Matthew five thirteen and 14, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, salt preserves. And salt makes no difference on meat unless it's touching the meat. You're the light of the world, Jesus says. And Jesus wants us to be light and light shines best in darkness. So God actually wants us to integrate into city life. Not to be compromised by it, but to transform it. God wants us to be not hands off or aloof or longing for a retreat or a countryside opportunity. But God actually, rather than reacting against the sin in the city, 
God wants us to immerse ourselves in this city and love this city and show the love of God to this city. There was a moment hundreds of years after Jonah where the people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon. And they were in exile and they'd been taken there by the Babylonians. But what they had done actually was the Israelites arrived on the edge of Babylonia and instead of going into the city of Babylon, they just lived in the suburb area around Babylon. And God stirred the prophet Jeremiah to write a letter to the exiles in Babylon because they were thinking, we'll be out of here soon. Let's just hang around the suburbs. And God wrote them a letter to challenge them. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, and some of you know a famous verse in Jeremiah 29. We'll get to that. But here's the context of that verse. Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all whom I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So God's saying, don't stand aloof to this city of Babylon. Throw yourself into that city. Have families, buy property, invest in it. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, even in a wicked city. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, when the city was getting worse, God said to Jonah and God said to the Israelites, go in. Whereas many religious people want to get out. One person who did go in was Daniel. You can read about him in his book called Daniel. And he was an incredible influencer. In fact, Daniel, throughout Daniel's life, he influenced through the reign of five kings in Babylon. Five kings. He brought two of those five kings who were heathens, he brought them to faith in the living God. He made the worship of the true God law in a foreign land where he was a foreigner and a slave. That's significant influence. Why? Because he threw himself into that city and it didn't let it affect him. Rather, he brought transformation. You see, the world changes men by taking them out of their environment, but God changes men by taking the environment out of them and then he sends them back to change the environment. Let me read you an excerpt. In the New Testament times, shortly after the apostles and the book of, so the book of Acts, there was a plague broke out in Rome. Remember I said earlier that 50% of the Greco-Roman cities were believers of Jesus. How did it get to that point? Well, here's one example of how it got there. There was a plague broke out in Rome. It was a horrendous plague. People were dying all over the place. And let me read you two excerpts from people writing and describing the plague. One was, first of all, by a pagan guy. And he describes, um, and this is, if you're interested, this is Rodney Stark's book, uh, The Rise of Christianity. And here's what, how the pagan described the situation in the city. He said, the, daughters, sorry, the doctors were quite incapable of treating the disease. The people became afraid of visiting anyone and as a result, thousands of people died with no one looking after them. 
Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any attention. The catastrophe was so overwhelming that we became indifferent to every rule of morality. Many pushed sufferers away, even their dearest, often throwing them onto the roads before they were dead, hoping to avoid contagion. Here's another quote describing the exact same plague by a man called Dionysus who described the Christians in that city at that time. It says, Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only uh, of themselves. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every needs and ministered to them in Christ. And with them, departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of ours lost their lives in this manner. You see, instead of going out of the city when all hell was breaking loose, the Christians immersed themselves in that city and many of them in loving their neighbors died. Augustine in his book, The City of God, said that people who know their citizenship is in that ultimate heavenly city that is ahead. People who know they're citizens of the heavenly city make the best citizens of earthly cities. You see, when you know you have a citizenship that's eternal, your life doesn't mean this life changes its meaning. The way you interact at work is different. Because you don't have to fight your way to the top. You know you have an eternal reward. When you understand that you have eternal life, that even death and threats don't affect you the same way. I mean, when you really know that, it affects your demeanor to that degree. It's interesting. It says they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Where would they have got such an idea from? They got it from none other than Jesus Christ, who at one point on a cross took upon himself our pain, our burden, and died in our place. That's where they got it from. He's amazing. And he did it so you could have life. And he's alive to give it to you. So I encourage you, Destiny Church, be great citizens of Edinburgh. Meet needs all over the city. When you see a need, meet a need. Be great citizens here. Be the best employees. You know, treat your bosses well. Treat your colleagues really well. You're not competing with them. It's not like their job or yours. No, no. Honor them. Give them them opportunity, even if it doesn't make you look good. Be phenomenal. Let, Let it be the point where if on your application for a job, you write, oh, by the way, I go to Destiny Church. They'll say, you've got to get a job with us. Because whether the boss is looking or not, you know God's looking, you work real hard. Destiny Church, Edinburgh, love your spouses in the city. It's time people treated their wives real well. And we're going to be talking a lot about that through the summer and about relationships 
and all the different aspects. Love your families. Honor your husbands. Love your neighbors in the city. Let them, glad, let them be glad that you moved in next to them. Let's be phenomenal cities, citizens in this great city. By the way, it's a wee aside, but it relates to what I'm talking about. Sometimes I get criticized for not plugging many Christian events in this church or any Christian events in this church. We, I do. Um, I, I, I get people saying, why didn't you plug that event? Or why didn't you plug that event? Let me tell you why I don't plug events. I think some people think, Pete, you don't plug events because you're just into yourself and you're just an isolationist kind of group. That hurts me when they say that because that's really not the case. I absolutely love the city and I love the churches in this city. I really do. I root for them big style. We don't plug lots of events in this church. Here's why. Because by the time you've come on a Sunday, connected with a small group and had a meaningful discipleship experience through small group, by the time you've done your job real well at work and you've had time to love your family, your parents or your wife or your kids, and actually you've got some time to know non-Christian people and really know them, like Jesus, friend of sinners. By the time you've done all that, yeah, you ain't got much time to go to a praise event or another thing that's going on there or another thing that's going on. I know that. And at the end of my life, when I stand before God, God's not going to say, Pete, why didn't you get all your people in the church really busy with Christian stuff? Why didn't you do that? He's not going to say that. He, he really won't. He, he might say, why did you let them get distracted with secondary things when I asked you, you've got a short time there, and I asked you to go and make disciples and be a great church that loves other churches and just gets on with doing great commission in the city? That's why. It's called being focused. And by the way, some of the other great churches in the city are exactly the same when it comes to these things. So why have we got this thing called 2020 vision? You know, for those who are new, 2020 vision, our vision in the next five years is to launch four new locations, refurbish our two buildings, specifically to create kids and youth spaces, and give the tithe of everything we raise to finish the orphanage we've started in India. That's 2020 vision. So the first new location launches. Just now we're in Gorga here. We have a morning and evening here. And we have a morning and evening cross in Leith. So we're currently in two locations. We launched the third location in September, 20th of September, with the first service in the Granton-Pilton area of Edinburgh. Then God willing after that, we'll launch, that's the first of the four. Then we'll launch God willing in, in the Gilmots and Liberton area. Then we'll launch God willing in the West Lothian area then we'll launch God willing in the city center here. Why? Why are we doing that? Why are we hassling? Because for us, church isn't just about being a cool church that happens to be reasonably big. For us, it's about how can we see every single man, woman, and child in this wonderful city that God considers so significant impacted with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. It's not about staying comfortable. It's about what can we do to make a difference. So praise God. We, our goal is to raise a million pounds to underwrite the launch of those locations and the refurbishments. 715,000 has been pledged already. And this is the beginning of a five-year plan. It's incredible. Uh, so we're, we are about 300,000 short. So if you happen to have 300,000 pounds 
seriously, we would love you to give it. Thank you. Please consider that. Um, Nathan, I know you have, man. And I, 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 you're the guy I'm really talking to here. But that money's going to come in, but if you're able to contribute in some way, that would be great. But more than the money, 100 people who attend our services who were just attenders have signed up to become participators, serving, carrying weight in teams or different things or outreach programs. Why? Because to launch new locations, it has to be all hands on deck. And we've, by God's grace, the army has been mobilized. So, but what about when we get to 2020? What then? All right. What's 2030? It's not as quirky as 2020, is it? 2030. What, what is that going to look like? Well, yesterday I had lunch with a guy called Steve Merle. He's written a fantastic book called Wiki Church. Some of you read that. And over lunch, I was asking about his church in Manila in the Philippines. And just now, they have 15 locations now in Manila with 120 worship services in 15 locations. So they have two on a Friday night, two on a Saturday, six on a Sunday, a Tuesday and a Wednesday, early morning for the people finishing their shifts every week in 15 locations. In fact, it's actually 21 locations because several of them have little spin-off locations in hired venues around it. It's mental. They have the best part of 100,000 people connecting with church. And 68% of the people in their church came to faith in the church. They ain't just gone around nicking people from other churches, which isn't church growth. So you're wondering what we're going to be doing after 2020? Well, we're, we're still thinking city. Uh, you asked me what we're doing in 2040. Probably very similar. It's been the numbers, God willing, will be bigger. Destiny Glasgow have already have five locations in Glasgow and they're currently pursuing a vision for launching 20 in the next five years. It's time to think big and let God do great things through us. You see, it's not just going to take a great church to reach a city. It's going to take a great movement of church. And did you know that in the last, this is heartbreaking, in the last 10 years, there are 300,000 less people attending church in Scotland in the last 10 years. Let me break it down for you. Every week, 577 less people attend church in Scotland. Every week. So we need a new wineskin. Tragically, it's predominantly the Church of Scotland's decline that, that, that counts for those figures. We need new wineskins. We, we need a, a, it's it's going to take robust thinking. We're not thinking egotistically here. We're just thinking... For the sake of the name of Jesus and for the sake of our city, what can we do? And we know, and I've got great friends who are leading other churches who are also thinking robustly. Let's all play our part. Big thinking wise, God will do something great. Every Thursday, we're going to take time to fast and pray. If you can't fast, if you've got an eating disorder, please do not participate in fasting. But please pray. If you can come early morning, 7 o'clock here, 7 o'clock in Leith, intercession team are here every, it's upstairs actually, every Thursday night. Uh, they have kind of an hour and a half. The, the morning ones will be uh, 40 minutes an hour, that kind of focus time. You come before work, call on God. Let's just take every Thursday. If you're going to go on holiday, don't fast on holiday. Enjoy your whatever you're having on holiday. But when you're not on holiday, fast with us. Let's call on the Lord for the city, for the new locations at lunch, for God's will to be done among us.
It's interesting, the phrase, I don't know if you, again, it's a little phrase that was in the verse we read earlier. It says, should I not be concerned about this great city in which there are 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? It's an interesting little phrase there. And it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's a way of a Hebrew thinking person describing someone who's in a spiritual fog. It's describing a city that's in a spiritual fog, uh, blind spiritually, dead spiritually. Uh, Do you know, actually, before you come to God, the Bible describes you as spiritually dead. It's not that you're not alive emotionally and all that, but to God, you're, you're disconnected, you're spiritually dead. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. You see, before you were connected with God, you were dead because of sin. And when Jesus came into your life, because of his death and resurrection, you come alive. I remember the moment. I remember when I was 15, I came alive. I, I felt it. And so becoming a Christian is not about taking bad people and making them into good people. It's far worse than that, and it's far better than that. It's about taking dead people and seeing them become alive people. It literally is a resurrection takes place. It was Jewish tradition, and I don't know how much credibility there is to this, other than I've heard about it many occasions in various sources, that Jonah was none other than the child that Elijah raised from the dead in 1 Kings 17. That'd be a cool way to start your life. So God, potentially, if that's the case, God took a man who had been resurrected to resurrect a city. And God is going to take resurrected people to resurrect a city. Same miracle, just bigger scale. And that's why we pray. We ask for that miracle, a resurrection, nothing less than a resurrection in Edinburgh. For all those people, for the people who don't know God, let them come alive to you, God. So that's why we fast and pray. Alexander the Great apparently had a, a general who he loved and he really admired. And this general um, came to him on one occasion asking a favor. And he said to Alexander the Great, he said, can you help me? My daughter is getting married. It's going to be very expensive. Could you help me with finances to cover the costs of the wedding? And Alexander the Great said, I admire you and I honor you. And of course I will help. Go and talk to the treasurer. So the man went out of Alexander the Great's presence, went to the treasurer and explains that Alexander the Great had agreed to this. And the treasurer said, sure, how much will it be? And he, and he said the amount and the treasurer was completely taken aback because it was such a large amount of money. So the treasurer said, wait a minute. And the treasurer went and spoke to Alexander the Great and said, um, do you know how much he's asking for? And Alexander the Great said, tell me. And, and he told him the amount. And Alexander the Great said, give it to him. And the treasurer said, why? And Alexander the Great said, don't you see? He's paying me one of the greatest compliments. He believes that I am both rich and generous. So give it to him. And when you come to God and you ask him for something like, would you change this city, God? That's a big prayer. Would you transform some of my mates who don't yet know you? Big prayers. Would you give us success as we launch a location in the north? 
God would become a rallying point for wonderful people in that area to come to know the living God. Big prayers. God's not offended by your big prayers. It's a real compliment to him, actually, because you're saying, God, I believe you are both able and generous and willing to do such things. So we come with those prayers to God. And then the final thing I just want to encourage you in in the light of these verses is to be people who share your faith in this city. Share your faith in this city. Don't be someone who's silent about your faith. Actually, people are interested. Now, on the other side, don't be a weirdo who says it in such a way that's like intense and freaks people out, right? You know what I'm talking about. You're freaking me out. Just, it's, you know, when you take an inappropriate moments to say too much to the wrong person, right? That actually pushes them away. The weird thing is you could be saying truth and the truth actually doesn't help them. The truth could push them away from God. That's weird. But nevertheless, be willing to share. Let me read you a quote by an atheist, Penn Gillette, who was uh, one half of the famous comic illusionist Penn and Teller uh, group. And, he's, and he, he one day was evangelized by a gentleman who was very polite and was very humble in the way he shared his faith. But nevertheless, he shared his faith very clearly with this atheist, Penn Gillette. And this is, what he, this is what Penn Gillette said about that man who was sharing his faith with him. He said this, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people are going to go to, are going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them because it might make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not to tell them? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that, said an atheist. So share your faith. Do it in a winsome way. Do it having prayed. Do it having demonstrated love as well. But do share. And you know there's opportunities as well. Summer missions coming up. Kids clubs, we're needing volunteers. Simple things. You're part of a church that is about impacting with this message of God's love to say. So even your participation in the life of the church helps us, enables us to get that message out. Last verse in Jonah says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God's interested in cities. He considers them incredibly significant. They're full of wonderful people who are yet disconnected from God. And he's interested in the whole infrastructure of the city and the way that city flows with culture. And the way that city manifests his image in people's lives. And we get the privilege of being in this city for however long. May God use us. Let's pray. Before I pray for you, just take a moment to pray for yourself. Maybe tonight, 
maybe you've really not been that fussed about the city or maybe you're not from this city maybe you're from another city maybe you've not been that fussed about your city and what we see here in God is an intense passion from God in God's heart for this city so just why don't you take a moment to pray and respond to that and ask God that he would fill you with that compassion that he has for this city just take a moment to pray that prayer thanks for the book of Jonah thanks for the way it challenges us thanks for the way God it, it gets us really out of our comfort zones and God we're asking you Lord that this radical grace of God that you have in your heart will come into our hearts and we'll be moved like you're moved for the wonderful people in our city we take bold steps in the city, God, but we don't take them out of bravado. We take them trusting. We take them with our eyes fixed on you. God, I pray, would you give us a heart, your heart for this city or whatever city we're from. Just while people are praying tonight, I want to give you an opportunity if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who rose again, if you've never really, really trusted in him and become a follower of Jesus, why not this evening? Why not make that decision? Pray that prayer. Cross that line. Commit yourself to him. If that's you this evening, I want to help you do that. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I just ask you very simply to repeat this prayer under your breath after me, one line at a time. If that's you and you're saying, Peter, tonight I want to connect with God, then pray this prayer with me just now. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your great love for me. Jesus, thank you you were willing to come into this world and to die on that cross to take away all my sin. Thank you for rising again on the third day. Thank you, you're alive right now. This evening, I make a decision to turn from my sins, to put my whole faith in you. Be my savior. I'm gonna become a follower of yours, Jesus. From this day forward, take first place in my life Jesus be Lord of my life thanks for hearing my prayer thanks for accepting me this evening